The Minding Your Mind podcast, raising awareness and breaking the stigma around mental health. We all have to continue to want to be informed about the current challenges that students are facing and best practices to approach those situations. And I think that's where there's a huge gap in because people might be aware, but they look away instead of actually trying to address the issue. Hello and welcome to the Mining Your Mind podcast. My name is Jordan Burnham and I will be your host for today's episode. For this episode, you'll hear my interview with LGBTQ plus and mental health advocate Juan Acosta. The part of Juan's story that stood out to me when I was reading about him, and it's actually the first topic we started with, was the fact that he was only 13 when he first started his advocacy work for the LGBTQ plus community. So you'll hear Juan talk about that and the work he continues to do. He also tells the story of how he was able to co-author a book with the international star, singer, songwriter, Lady Gaga. And throughout our conversation, he gives really thoughtful and powerful messages to students, parents, school staff, and society as a whole in ways we can support and provide a safe space for LGBTQ plus youth. I hope you enjoy my interview with Juan Acosta. Okay, with us today, we have Juan Acosta. Juan is an LGBTQ plus mental health advocate who serves on national committees, and he is a New York Times bestselling author for a book co-authored with Lady Gaga titled Channel Kindness. He's dedicated his life to fighting for mental health and LGBTQ plus rights. Juan, thank you so much for being on the Minding Your Mind podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I wanted to start with the advocacy work and service for the LGBTQ plus community, because for you, that started at the age of 13. And I read that you put in over 200 hours of service by the time you were 15. Um, So can you take me to when you were 13? What was going on that made you realize you wanted to get involved? Yeah, thank you for this question. I, as you mentioned, I started all of this at the age of 13. And Honestly, my, the catalyst for all of it was my own lived experience, my own struggles growing up as an LGBTQ plus man in a small town. I also came from an immigrant family uh, who was tasked to learn English. It, English wasn't my first language. Uh, it was Spanish at the time. So I faced many barriers and it was difficult growing up in school, getting bullied and harassed by m- many things. I was labeled many things before I even accepted them myself. So the only way I found out that I could feel like I was a part of the community I was growing up in was by getting involved and giving back, right? And I feel like essentially what that came down to was kindness, Uh, finding out that there are many barriers, including language barriers, but kindness, everybody understands it, right? When somebody does a kind act, you appreciate it regardless of your background, regardless of any label that may be attached to you. So I wanted to focus all my energy and making sure that other youth growing up in this town didn't have to face those struggles I was facing, in particular about LGBTQ plus community. So I got involved in my community, in an organization. I hosted a local television show that really focused on social justice issues in my community. 
Uh, so I was very young at that age and it was scary because obviously it brings a lot of attention to an extent with you growing up and then there's other kids who are playing tetherball and you know just relaxing but it is what truly made me feel alive and it's what saved my life because I was in a really dark place back then and it felt really lonely and I didn't know how to talk about mental health I didn't understand the terms these conversations are also very stigmatized in the Latinx community. And I'd come home, I wouldn't talk to my parents about it because they were working full time to put food on the table for my siblings and I. So I didn't want to be another one of their concerns or something else that put more on their plate. I just wanted to keep things to myself. But what relieved that was me getting involved in the community and advocating for others going to school what was that experience like as well because as you just said it's difficult to come home and talk to your parents about these issues but what's going on at school yeah so at school as i mentioned i was getting bullied a lot and it it was really like taunting i hated going to school i would always say like my stomach hurts i would always try and get out of class i would try and get out of pe a lot because it was we were grouped with just it was uh males and females in just two different areas and I didn't really feel comfortable just being around the males because I felt like I was targeted differently I was looked at differently so I tried to avoid school as much as I could Uh, my grades were beginning to sink and it wasn't fun Uh, and it was difficult for my parents as well because as my grades went down so did so many other things in my life so as I started doing more community service more advocacy work I started getting myself back and I started finding myself again. And that really made me feel reassured that what I was doing was right. And what I was doing was also part of my healing process. And I think when I found and looked at it from that perspective, that as I did this, I was healing and I was also learning from others who might have similar experiences. I was growing as a person and I was able to contribute to the community. So I wanted to read a statistic from the Human Rights Campaign uh, that they released a report in 2018. As you know, the majority of our work comes from working with schools. And so I wanted to ask about the LGBTQ plus youth in the classroom. Um, And so they said in this report that only 26% say that youth feel safe in their school classrooms. And only 5% say all of their teachers and school staff are supportive of the LGBTQ people. Um, So first, can you speak to the effect that that feeling can have when you don't feel like you have that safe space? Yeah, I mean, it's really intrusive. It's what made me not want to go to school, right? And in many classes and schools, you might have like posters up that say, this is a safe space, but What's actually being done behind that? What's intentional? Because anybody can put up a poster with butterflies and rainbows and say, this is a safe space. But like, what are we doing to hold that to accountable? You know, what are we doing to provide students resources? What are we doing to hear students out? What are we doing to check in on students who might be struggling with their grades instead of punishing them and making them fail or, you know, making them just not want to go to school anymore? What are we doing to actually support them? So For me, that experience of not having a safe space really translated into everything everything else. It was a ripple effect. It was me not wanting to go to school. It was me and my grades diminishing because of it. 
And I think that's the case for many people where sometimes even students don't have their pronouns respected and people don't ask. And the Trevor Project has done great work around that and really highlighting the importance of respecting people's pronouns because, you know, it might seem like it's something so minimal for some people, but it's someone's identity that you need to respect. And what I say is that when we talk about these things, especially in the school setting, people feel uncomfortable. They feel like, oh no, we can't have these conversations. And there's a whole bunch of unnecessary controversy that surrounds it. But how would you feel if you step out of your home and go into a classroom and you're sitting in that discomfort for the whole entire class period, your whole entire class schedule? And if you're just having a conversation about it, you're sitting in discomfort for an hour and you're learning and you're growing as a person, but rather, the students who are actually facing that challenge or just sitting there year round insecure, might be fearing for what's going to happen during their breaks, they're being taunted, they're being bullied. And we've seen uh, school rates of suicide uh, skyrocket, suicidal thoughts and feelings, and students don't have the support and sometimes they don't know how to speak up about, about what they're facing. And we need to ensure that we're having those conversations. Even mental health is not really touched on in school, but we touch on sex ed right away, which is good. I'm not saying that's wrong, but if we're able to talk about sex ed, we should be able to talk about mental health because we all have it and we all need to be taking care of it. And is there any advice you specifically give to teachers, counselors, any workers in schools today? Yeah, I'd say really, be willing to be culturally humble, be willing to learn, continue learning because yes, you're a teacher, an educator, and yes, you have many things down, but there's always more to learn, right? That's what we're taught as students and it applies to everybody else. Like even when you have a degree, I have a degree in, in psychology or whatever, but I still have so much more to learn and we all have to continue wanting to learn. We all have to continue to want to be informed about the current challenges that students are facing and best practices to approach those situations. And I think that's where there's a huge gap in because people might be aware, but they look away instead of actually trying to address the issue. So I wanted to pivot over to speaking on ways that parents can create a safe space for open dialogue. Because uh, as you just mentioned, the Trevor Project, um, they actually reported in 2020 national survey on LGBTQ youth that over 40% of LGBTQ plus youth reported they were unable to receive mental health care due to concerns with parental permission. So I was wondering, are there any tips that you can share for parents who might be struggling with what exactly to do or say? I think having intentional conversations with your, with your children, right? When you, they get home, don't just say, hey, how are you? Good, thank you, bye. But really try to have an intentional conversation around what they're really going through in their life. What's going on in school? How are you feeling about this? And if they're out uh, supporting them, if they do need any resources, allowing yourself to be a facilitator for them to get those resources. Uh, I know that many, for many students, coming out is scary. So maybe having schools offer some resources, uh, whether it's text services, online chat services, if those are available to them. But for parents, it's important for them to always 
foster an environment at home that allows somebody to speak up because if they're hearing negative things about a specific community if they're hearing negative things about like oh mental health like whatever get over it just get up from bed then people are not willing to speak up because they feel like they're not going to be taken seriously and it's something that's real and it's something that happens and you know, life gets busy for everybody, especially for parents, but it's also important for parents to be there for their children as they're growing up. The next thing I wanted to hear your thoughts about the roles identity and intersectionality play in the LGBTQ plus community, uh, especially when we talk about mental health. First, I wanted to read this quote for you and ask you two follow-up questions. So over the summer, I actually had the opportunity to lead a panel discussion with some of the other Minding Your Mind young adult speakers where we talked about minorities and mental health. Um, And in the midst of watching as many videos as I could, um, I came across this quote. Um, It's from Laquanda Roberts Buckley, who is a black woman who identifies as bisexual and talks about living with bipolar one. And the quote is, in order for a person to travel down the road of recovery, you have to acknowledge who that person is on every level to deny one part of me is to deny my opportunity of recovery and to be healthy. Um, so first, I wanted to ask how that quote resonates with you. I think that definitely resonates with me. As I mentioned, coming from an immigrant family, and as you know, I, I was born in Mexico, and also I identify as a gay male. But for me, having each of those parts of my life respected and addressed is very important because for a long time, I feel like I didn't fit in with my Mexican culture because of my sexual orientation, because of who I am. And vice versa, I feel like I see many barriers in the LGBTQ plus community where there's a huge gap in uh, white cis gay males compared to people of color who identify as a member of the community. Even you know, trans women of color are murdered at very high rates in this country. And it's not talked about as much, you know, in the media. And I think that's a huge, huge like sign and proof of the gap that there is within our own in-groups. And I think that's important to acknowledge. But when you ask me about like every single part of our beings being addressed and acknowledged, it's important because in mental health, I wouldn't want to talk to a therapist or to a counselor who might be a white gay cis man because they're not going to understand every single struggle that I faced as an immigrant growing up in this country. So when we talk about intersectionality in that lens, I look at it from that perspective because people of color go through so much more that maybe someone can't understand. And it's not necessarily about just classifying white, black, Latinx, or any of that, but it's the reality of those struggles that are unique to each of those communities and that others might not understand and are constantly brushed off by the mental health system because they try to pile everything and just check off a resource off the list and like, oh, we do offer this resource, but is it culturally humble, you know? Yeah, because I was actually just going to ask, how do you explain intersectionality to the people that you speak to? Because You know, I can speak on it, intersectionality as a Black man, but obviously you and I have two completely different experiences and communities that we might be speaking to. So I was wondering, how do you talk about intersectionality? I mean, it's difficult to really put into like words, right, that 
each of what the communities I belong to are, are very different. And when I speak, it's kind of hard, especially when I try to bring up my Mexican heritage and like my Latinx like background, because a lot of LGBTQ plus support is lacking in, in that culture. And it's run by machismo and all of that. But it's also part of who I am as a human being. So acknowledging both of the things, because regardless, I'm not just a gay man. I'm not just a Mexican man. So acknowledging all of that, it brings a very unique perspective to the table. Because as you mentioned, you have your own uh, categorizations, labels, and communities you belong to. I have my own. And it's important that we bring that to the table when we're talking about mental health because it puts us at almost a disadvantage, right? When we talk about certain things, accessing resources, uh, care, like any treatment, any of that. I think just really focusing in on getting those stuff out there, what you read, that quote earlier, it, it goes along those same lines because uh, she identifies as a black woman who is also bisexual. And her experience as a black woman isn't exclusive to just her experience as a bisexual woman and vice versa. No, thank you. I, I think it is definitely one of those conversations. There's a lot of nuance there. There's a lot of historic understanding that has to be had when it comes to the topic of intersectionality. But thank you uh, for speaking on that. And so let's talk about the book. I mean, to be able to co-author a book with Lady Gaga is not something I normally read on, on someone's bio as I'm introducing them. So I'm going to make this as open-ended as possible because I'm so excited for you to share. Uh, how did this come to be? Well, I've always been a fan of Gaga since she debuted it onto the scene. Uh, her album Born This Way was really a huge part of my life. I was in middle school when that album was released, so that really kind of gave me a message of like reassurance like yo like it's okay to be yourself but more than that i've always been a fan of like her work and philanthropy and her just her message her mission and when she came out with her born this way foundation co-founded by her mother i knew that it aligned well with my perception and my view of what i wanted to do with my own work and they said to build a kinder and braver world so I had the opportunity to join the Born This Way Foundation as one of their inaugural Channel Kindness reporters, which Channel Kindness is a storytelling platform that focuses on kind of acts throughout the community. And it's important because oftentimes when we turn on the news or when we look through the news on our phones, it's, we're like bombarded with a whole bunch of negative news about things that are going wrong in the world. And we oftentimes lose sight of the positive things that are going on in the world. And Channel Kindness brings those positive news. And it's positive in a way that it's about change makers. And the book is about that change makers, young people throughout different communities that are really stepping up and creating change in their community. Uh, I've been able to intern for Born This Way Foundation, but the book highlights one of my stories of an LGBTQ plus proclamation that I drafted for my hometown of Woodland, California that made history passing through the city council for the very first time in the town's his history. So it's the story in there is so important to me because it was what I set myself out to do. I wanted to make a safe space for young people growing up in my town, growing up 
And before I moved out to San Francisco to pursue my education, I was able to do that by making sure that they acknowledged the LGBTQ plus community in this town and that they acknowledged June as Pride Month. And it was very controversial for many reasons. People were speaking out against it, opposing it during public comment sessions. I was 21 at the time. It was scary to speak out and, and just in front of the whole entire city council and put my whole story out there, but it was necessary, right? And channel kindness is really that. People who are creating safe spaces, creating these stories, and Gaga is obviously trying to use her platform in many ways that really ensures that communities that are often represented are not only acknowledged, but that they have a step, a a seat at the table and that they're able to share their stories with the world. And I think Cynthia Gaga's mother and co-founder of the Born This Way Foundation and the whole team for putting us out in this book. And yeah, it became a New York Times bestseller. So it's been it's been a very great experience and I'm really grateful for it. So staying with that, I another statistic from the Trevor Project, and this is on the the positive, optimistic side of things. The survey said that over 80% of youth said that celebrities who are LGBTQ plus positively impact how they feel about being themselves. So I was thinking about this because Lady Gaga, to see her at the inauguration and to see her singing and for that representation to be there, I was just going to ask you, what does representation truly mean? I mean, representation is everything. It means being seen, right? Seeing yourself like, yo, like, they're doing it, I can do it too. And that's how I view many things. Like, if I see a Latinx person in a movie or in media or someone else doing great advocacy work or just getting, like, a great, like, seat as a, like, senator or, like, politician, whatever it is, it gives you that reassurance and hope that you can also do it. And I feel like even Kamala Harris, her getting elected as VP gave so much of that hope for other young women of color who are aspiring to be something like Kamala Harris, who are aspiring to be in a powerful and co-powerful position, it gives that sense of like, I can do it too. And so for Gaga, who's a huge LGBTQ plus ally and also identifies as a bisexual woman, for her to be there, it just meant so much because it, it reassured us that we also have a seat at the table and that her being there was a shift in our culture once again, because as you know, it's been a while past few years in this country. So having some sigh of change and some someone who might identify as a part of your community there was really, really special. Even Jennifer Lopez, who also comes from a Latinx background. So having many, many people be truly representative of what this country is, is important. So actually, I know that you spoke a little bit about it earlier, but the historic proclamation that you were able to to get through in your own hometown, mentally, how are you processing everything at that time, being 21 and trying to do something that is truly historic and and a beacon of hope for so many people, especially LGBTQ plus youth. So how did that all come to be exactly? And then how are you feeling? Like, that's my biggest thing is I'm wondering, you're doing something that is truly historic and making a difference for so many people for years to come. How are you feeling during that time? 
it was chaotic. <laughs> it was truly chaotic. Like just to put it like very simply out there, it was very chaotic. Uh, I was attending community college at the time, and I was working full time as a barista. Uh, and it was the months before, a few months before, I was going to move out of my hometown, and I knew I wanted to create something that was lasting, something that would truly shift a little bit of culture here and that would really bring hope for many young people who belong to the community. And I started like researching ways and I was like, why don't we have Pride Month? Why don't we have any acknowledgement for the community? And I emailed the city manager and I got the conversation going and they told me like, um, sure, we can put this on the agenda, but do you have any proclamation language drafted? I was like, no, because at the time I did not know any like what proclamation language even was, but I stayed up all night like researching. I started like drafting it all night and I I stayed up literally all night just trying to draft it because I was like, I'm not going to let this be a barrier for me to get something done. So I emailed it out the next morning and they said like, yes, we can put this on the agenda. It'll be on it was like five days after I had emailed it out. It was June 19th, I remember. Um, and they, I, we got on the agenda and they said, we're gonna have a public comment session. And that's when I got a little bit scared. I was like, oh, like, here we go, here we go. And I get there, there's a whole bunch of like news stations that are ready to cover it because it was controversial for whatever reason. And we start talking about it, people were, bringing their beliefs forward about uh, religion, all of that, opposing it. And I went up there and just really spoke to my own lived experience and what I struggled with growing up in the town. I echoed that we cannot expect for LGBTQ plus members in the community to feel a part of the community if they're not getting any message of acknowledgement, of empowerment, and that it this was overdue. I brought up cases like Orlando where so many people died from the LGBTQ plus community in that shooting. I brought up statistics about trans women of color who die in this country uh, and just many, many reasons why this was so necessary. You know, young people growing up here look up to our leaders to do stuff, to protect them. And if we're not ensuring that communities are safe spaces, then we're not doing our jobs as leaders. And for me, I knew that it was up to me to do something because nobody else seemed concerned to do it. And what was surprising to me is that I wasn't the only one who spoke in support of it, but there were so many people who spoke about themselves growing up in this town and being in a closet for so long, but decided to come out and speak for it because it's something that really impacted their lives. and. A similar attempt to what I did was done in 1998, and it was voted down by the city council. So to have that now be completely different and to be, you know, passed and making history, it was really, really important. And, you know, people labeled it controversial or whatever, but there was so many people who said that they felt like they actually belonged to the community, who felt like they could walk out to the street now feeling more comfortable, feeling more safe. And I think 
if a 21 year old, which I was at the time can do it, I think so many other people can do it in their own towns, in their own communities. And I think it's just about being intentional and wanting to do that lasting change. And that includes parents. When you ask me like, what can parents do to ensure that they're fostering safe spaces is really going out there and showing up for your children and for yourself because at the end of the day your children's a part of yourself so just showing up and doing that work because you never know what the impact it can have in the lives that i could save 21 no it's amazing i commend you for that all the all the work that you've done but especially that specifically that's incredible to hear that a lot, it seemed like a lot of that motivation was for the younger generations moving forward uh, of just having, like you said, kind of that safe space of being who they are. And so I wanted to actually end with a, a quote from one of the news stations at that time where you said, quote, I feel like this message sends out a great encouragement to be your true self. And I was hoping we could end by you unpacking that a bit of what being your true self means to you and then what you think that means for the community too. It's owning every part of your being. We talked about intersectionality. It's owning every single part of your being. It's being able to go out in some huge sunglasses and a leather jacket without feeling a need that you're going to be attacked, without feeling like you're not going to be respected. It's being mindful that you are a person that holds unique perspective and unique uh, vision of the world, and that that vision is something that you can go after with no apology and for me it's being me today being here talking about it being open about it and feeling like i'm doing a positive change with my life and looking back at my younger self who really struggled and saying like i got you because that's what i would have wanted to see so being that hero that you at one point needed in your life that's being your true self when you're able to own it every single part of your being and when you're able to go after your dreams Juan Acosta, plug anything you would like to, any projects you have coming up. Where can we follow you? You can find me at Juan Acosta with two underscores at the end uh, on Instagram, Twitter, wherever. And I have a lot of upcoming projects. I'll be speaking at the United Nations uh, this upcoming Monday on mental health youth innovation. So I'm excited for the future and I'm excited to continue not only sharing my story, but to continue trying to create that change and foster kind communities throughout the U.S. Juan, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on to the Minding Your Mind podcast and sharing your experiences, your work, and the groundwork and foundation that you've laid for the younger generations of the LGBTQ plus youth. So Juan Acosta, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. Okay, thank you to Juan Acosta for coming onto the podcast. As I said in the beginning, I loved the messages that Juan conveys throughout the interview by speaking on lived experiences. There was one sentence he said that I actually made sure to write down immediately because I felt like it was said in such an impactful way. When he said, be willing to be culturally humble, be willing to learn, and continue learning. And I hope that you were just as inspired as I was listening to Juan share his story. And we at Minding Your Mind certainly wish him the best of luck with his speech at the United Nations. And to you, the listeners, I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening. And in case no one told you today, 
Please now. You are loved. The world needs you. And are so glad you're here. I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the show. To learn more about us, visit mindingyourmind.org. 